You may be seated. Hey, won't we thank the band for leading us into the presence of God today? Wow. Just so appreciate their hearts. And anybody who helps lead us into God's presence, we ought to be grateful for. Amen? Amen. And most of all today, I'm thankful that he, the creator of the universe, is here to meet us and to meet your every need that you have today. You believe that? I am so thankful. And the candle's lit. So, so. I think I just need to start saying that during my messages every once in a while just to get a reaction. Hey, the candle's lit. Hey, the candle's lit. <laughs> hey. We do want to welcome you. If you're our guest, hope you feel at home. And those who are online, uh, welcome. We light a candle when somebody, uh, through the influence of brandy wine that we've been praying for, or maybe led somebody to Christ, uh, they gave their life to Christ. And this week, Christina Jones was able to, one of our members here, uh, is able to lead her daughter, Becca, to Jesus Christ. So we celebrate with Becca. How beautiful. Uh, each week we seem to be sh sharing a story of mom and dad who've been praying for a child, and uh, they respond. They said, I want to give my life to Christ. And so young and old, it's beautiful. Well, hey, I want to begin this morning by asking an important question. It is this. When it comes to your spiritual growth, when it comes to your uh, spiritual growth in your life, whose job is it? Is it God's job or is it yours? Mine. Some say mine. Who says God? All right. Some say both. All right. That's good. Um, Marriage counselors will tell you that one of the primary causes of conflict in households involves dispute over what's generally called division of labor. All right? If the bed goes unmade or the dishes go unwashed or if the diaper goes unchanged or, uh, you know, uh, nobody's taking out the trash, who's responsible for getting this job done? And it seems like a simple thing to, an issue to resolve, Right? I mean, all you got to do is communicate, yeah? Uh, but you'd be amazed how many couples have never done that. They've never achieved clarity about whose responsibility is to do what. And as a result, there are some things that just don't get done, you know? Because both people in the relationship thinks the other person is really responsible. Well, the same could be said uh, about Christians. Oftentimes, there is a confusion about division of labor uh, as it relates to our own spiritual walk, our own spiritual maturity and growth. Wondering who's responsible for the spiritual growth in my own life. Is it God, is it his job, or is it mine? Because if, if I believe that it's completely God's job, then I don't need to make any effort at all, right? I mean, any human action is just kind of futile. If I believe it's completely uh, my job and it's not God's job, then I can just, you know, no, I can't relax at all, can I? I mean, I better, uh, I better never sit back and relax because it's all up to me if I believe this. The thinking becomes if I just read my Bible enough and pray enough and give enough time uh, you know, uh, my time to serve others and ministry, if I give enough uh, time to 
witness, if I give enough time, give enough, uh, if I'm generous enough. And of course, all those things are true. You can't grow without doing those things. But we, sometimes we, we get in this thinking that, that if I just do all those things, then I will grow. Uh, as long as I'm doing this and this and this, it's all up to me and I'll grow. So you can see why the possible confusion when I ask that question. So which is it? Whose job is spiritual growth? Is it God's job or is it mine? In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul actually answers this question in the, in the letter to the church of Philippi. Philippians 2, you can turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, you can you got your phone app, hopefully, uh, yeah, you, you got your Brandywine app, you can open it up and there'll be scripture right there. In Philippians 2, chapter 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of sounds like it's my job there, right? For it is God who works in you. That kind of sounds like it's his job. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So first, Paul says, work out your salvation, which means you and I's role in this must be important, right? Spiritual maturity is not just something that gets zapped in to us, uh, you know, from God. Uh, but when Paul goes on, he says, for it is God who works in you. Check that out. The New Living Translation says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. In other words, don't try this alone at home, all right? Don't try uh, this spiritual growth thing, uh, making it happen by yourself without God, without the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. So whose job is it? Well, you're right. Somebody said, it's both. It's a partnership. Check out this key phrase that Paul uses here at the end of verse 12 when he says, work out your salvation. He uses the phrase, with fear and trembling. The phrase, with fear and trembling, that's a very common expression used in Paul's day, and it probably doesn't mean what you think it means. All right? Paul's not saying work out your salvation with a sense of nervous anxiety or with not knowing whether or not you're going to be good enough, you're going to earn enough, you know, to grow spiritually, whatever. That's not what he's saying. Paul is saying, work out your salvation with a humble attitude of dependence, dependence on the Lord. He's saying, yes, there's still a role that we have to play. We have to position ourselves. We have to make every effort here uh, to do something. And yes, uh, we've got to put ourselves in that right position for the Holy Spirit to do his work. But once we do that, only God and God alone can ultimately grow us in spiritual maturity. Uh, once we've come into partnership with him and once we've opened our life to him and, and created the right disciplines and habits in our life, when that, and that's, that takes some hey, effort on our part, right? I mean, if you're going to be an athlete, you might want to get in shape, right? <laughs> or you're going to get hurt. And so there, it takes some effort to do that. And that's what uh, Paul is saying here, that uh, once we come into partnership with God and once we make that effort to get, uh, exercise our faith and our heart, then it's God who ultimately works in you and the Holy Spirit who ultimately 
works in you to make us grow and to make us more like Jesus. So when Jesus left uh, this earth 2,000 years ago, the Bible says he ascended into heaven. The disciples were standing there watching like, whoa, you know? And the Bible says Christians were, uh, in that season of time, they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who becomes, the Bible says, our advocate. Another name for the Holy Spirit is our helper. He becomes our helper. And the Bible says that it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to grow and to bear good fruit in our lives. Galatians 5.22. You've heard this before, right? It is the Holy Spirit who produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. What the world needs now is more of that. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do we position ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of good fruit within our lives? Well, the answer to that is that spiritual growth isn't achieved by just how hard you try. Yeah, we have to make every effort. We're not saying that. But it's not produced by how hard you try. It's achieved by how much you surrender, how much we surrender to Jesus Christ. That's why we pray the prayer, God, empty me of me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your love and joy and peace. If the more I die to self, the more I empty me of me, the more the Holy Spirit is able to fill us with his, his, his power, his Holy Spirit, with love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, all the good fruit that we need to live uh, just the opposite of, uh, of the culture that we live in right now. You and I could never, ever grow in our walk with the Lord without the supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're to be filled over and over and over, the Bible says. So we need to put ourselves in a position and we need to surrender every day and ask God to empty us of us. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to uh, see the, the good product of good fruit. And it's through him that we are empowered to be even be able to live that out. So again, whose job is it? It's both. It's a partnership. The Bible says you, you and I need to make an effort. In fact, there's a phrase in the scripture that says make every effort. You see that a lot of times in the New Testament. That's why I want to preach on this morning. Uh, you and I need to make every effort to grow. But ultimately, it is the Spirit of God who works in you that gives you the ability to grow. So what is it that our partnership needs to be, this every effort? Well, you know, once he fills us with love and joy and peace, we still need to be obedient and walk in that obedience. And this is where the make every effort phrase comes in. Uh, you and I are to make every effort to partner with God. And as you read through the New Testament, it's an interesting phrase, make every effort. I want to show you five different ways in which Scripture uses it. Make every effort. Say it with me. Make every effort. In other words, do something. Do, do all you can, you know. Make every effort. Don't, don't do nothing, you know. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't, uh, you got to try, you know. You, you've got to partner with God and let him do what only he can do. Uh, so let me give you five different ways that this phrase, make every effort, comes up in the New Testament. 
Uh, I shared this with our staff uh, this last Monday. I got to teaching and I got to preaching. I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to preach on this. This is good. And so here we are. Uh, number one, make every effort. Make every effort to never stop growing, which is what we're talking about here today. That's found in 2 Peter 1. You'll see this phrase. Check it out. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, he's saying you'll grow. They'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. As Christ followers, uh, we, we are to never, ever stop growing. In other words, until you see Jesus face to face one day in heaven, we need to keep growing, you know? Uh, we need to keep learning. This should be a lifestyle. When you're through and proven, you're through, all right? Uh, and so we need to make a vow to never stop growing, never stop reading God's word, never stop taking classes. We, we've got great maturity uh, discipleship classes here for you to take uh, this fall, and I hope you'll sign up here, take those in, Dece in, in September. Um, I'm ready for December. <laughs> I'm ready for a new year. How about you? Huh? All right. But uh, number two, make every effort to maintain integrity, not just to grow, but to, and how do we grow? Well, one of the ways is making every effort to, to maintain integrity. Look what 2 Peter 3 says. Verse 14 tells us to make every effort. There it is again, that phrase. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. You know, God does not expect us to be perfect. Aren't you glad? I mean, he does not expect perfection, but he does expect for us to live our lives, to live lives of integrity as his followers. He said, what is integrity? Well, it's, it's to be spotless and blameless. That's what integrity is. Um, it's who you are. It's who you say you are. Uh, how, how do I go about living that out? By being transparent. I'm not pretending that uh, I have everything and every, everything together. You know, I'm just transparent. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery people so much. I mean, they just come in and they, they're like, well, here's who I am. And I've got my mask off. I, I, I was teaching about this being real and taking off your mask. And it was right when the pandemic started. And everybody's laughing. It's like, why are you laughing at when you're out there with mask on? As I'm saying, take off your mask. Our pastor said, take off your mask. No. Well, if you want to leave your mask on, leave your mask on. But, but as far as being genuine, you need to take off your mask, okay? Um, and, and to live a life of integrity. Uh, being willing to be transparent about your own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, integrity is it's actually just living out what you believe, you know? It's modeling what you say you believe. What is leadership? The simplest definition of leadership is this. Leadership is influence. And so influence is built on trust. Now, every one of us is, is to influence others. That's part of being a Christ follower. And in other words, you're to be a leader. You're to influence others for Christ. But the only way that you're able to gain uh, uh, 
trust is from having a reputation of living out what you believe. You know, are you who you say you are? Uh, having a reputation telling the truth. It's D.L. Uh, Moody who said one time, quote, character is who you are in the dark when no one else is looking. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good definition of integrity. So if you want people to follow you, they're going to have to trust you. And if they're going to trust you, then you've got to have integrity in your life. Uh, there's an old proverb that says, quote, he who thinketh he leadeth and hath no one following him is only taking a walk. And if you do not have integrity, if people do not trust you enough with it and see integrity in your life, you're only taking a walk. Nobody's following you. You're not influencing anyone for Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 1 and following, Paul lays out a necessary characteristics of a leader in a church. Now, not, not all of us are going to be elders or pastors or teachers like that, but all of us are to be influencers, and that's a leader. And so this is a de definition that, that uh, uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul lays out for, for being an influencer, a leader. And notice the criteria. Paul never says, oh, you got to have a really good resume if you're going to influence and be a leader. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say you got to attend this seminary or that seminary and, uh, to be uh, a good minister of the gospel. He doesn't say that. All of us are, every member is a minister. Every one of us should be living our life on mission. Amen? And so what does Paul address? He addresses the character traits, the character qualities in our life. And if you're going to influence others for Christ, it doesn't matter if it's your child or a grandchild or your neighbor who doesn't know the Lord, take a moment and reflect these character traits in your own life. Paul says, as a church leader, you must be a man whose life is above reproach. You must be faithful to his wife. You must exercise self-control and live wisely and have a good reputation. You must enjoy having guests in his home. You must be able to teach. You must not be able to, uh, you, must, you must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. You must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money, uh, but well-respected, have integrity. There's that word, integrity, and must live with a clear conscience. As, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's our job to set the example, to model those in, uh, in our, God has put in our circle of influence. So Paul gives us five specific characteristics here in 1 Timothy 4 when he says this, set an example for the believers in, in number one, speech, number two, in conduct, number three, in love, number four, in faith, number five, in purity. So we break that down. This is the way that we should set an example for everyone that comes in contact with us. Number one, with our speech. So we ask the question there is, how do I talk to people? Number two, in conduct or in life. In other words, the question here is, how do I live my life? Number three, we're to set the example in love, the greatest of these. The question here is, how do I show love to other people? Do they see that in me, demonstrate it in me? 
Number four, set the example in faith. The question here is, do I really trust God or do I just live in fear? Do I really trust him or do I just worry all the time? Number five, purity. And the question here is, do I live a life of integrity? There it is, a life of integrity. We are to be modeling these behaviors in our home, in front of our children, our grandchildren, and, and modeling that our behavior in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Number three, the next make every effort. You ready? Make every effort to forgive those who hurt you. Make every effort to forgive those who hurt you. That's found in Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 14, where we find this same phrase again. Make every effort. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up into our heart. You see, as we grow in Christ, all growing Christ followers forgive those who hurt them. If you're growing, you've forgiven. And here's something you can guarantee. It's inevitable. You will get hurt in this life. People will hurt you. Read my lips. This is going to happen. I'm sure it already has happened. Uh, whether it be intentional or unintentional, people are going to hurt you. But to grow, to grow and become more like Christ, we always have to be willing to forgive them. doesn't mean that you trust them. It doesn't even mean they need to be in your inner circle, your best friend. But you have to forgive them, and you cannot allow bitterness to ever build up. Because what happens when bitterness uh, builds up into our hearts and lives? Well, it begins to choke out uh, who God is and, and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You know, it just begins to shrink your heart. It begins to shrivel. We must vow to forgive others even when every bone in our body wants to retaliate. Make every effort to forgive those who have hurt you. And you'll grow in Christ. And you'll, you'll become more like Jesus. Number four, Number four, make every effort to be an encourager. To be an encourager. We find this in Romans 14, 19, where Paul tells us to, quote, make every effort. There it is again. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. You see, as if we're going to grow in our walk with the Lord, you and I are called to breathe life into people. Uh, to build one another up, not to tear them down. Man, they can get that anywhere in this world, right? We're called to be different. We're called to, to build others up. God has called us to be an encourager, not a discourager. I mean, and that means that you're able to look at a person and their life and all their issues and all their problems and yet see the potential. You see that, uh, what God uh, has in store for them and the plans he has for their life, you're, and you're able to identify, man, you would be good at this. God, God's got something for you great. Uh, all you got to do is just follow him. Empty yourself of yourself and, and fill with the Holy Spirit. He's going to use you. He's, you're going to make a difference in this world. This is the kind of encourager that God has called all of us to be to others. And a lot of people you come in contact with every day are so discouraged in life. I mean, they've been beaten down. 
They have all these discouragers around them, you know, saying things. And as Christ followers, we are to be the opposite. We are to be dispensers of hope. In a, in a, what they see is a hopeless world that they live in, uh, in a hopeless situation. We're to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to their life and be an encourager. Amen? amen. If you say amen real loud, I'll go to the last one, number five. Amen? amen. All right. Hey, the candle's lit. All right, okay. Okay. <laughs> works every time. All right. Number five, make every effort to be a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker. I see this in Ephesians 4.3 where it tells us to make every effort. There's that phrase again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Folks, uh, you know this, we are living in unprecedented times. I mean, you'd have to have your head stuck in the sand to not realize that we are living in a world filled with conflict, hate, and just rage. And as Christ followers, we're called to make every effort to reduce conflict. That's, our, that's who God has called you to be as his disciple. To make every effort to reduce division and conflict. Jesus said, blessed are the what? The peacemakers. You're called to be a peacemaker. And as a Christ follower, one of the most important jobs that you have is to promote unity. Not division, unity. You know, unity is the most precious gift to any church or any organization, any business. It's unity. It's God's dream for every local church. And I'm, I'm just blessed that we've seen this in our church for so many years. But it's God's dream for every church. One faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord, one Savior, one heart, one mind. Amen? Amen. Paul tells us in Romans 14, 19, so let us concentrate on the things that make for what? For harmony. And then he goes on to say, for harmony and the growth, they go together. I don't know if you ever thought about that. That make for harmony and growth of our fellowship together. Paul tells us that there is a direct correlation between unity, having unity in the body, and having growth. Uh, you know, people will sometimes ask me, you know, I'm, I'm personally starting our 29th year here as your pastor. We started... Kathy and I started the church 29 years ago. And people ask, well, what, why has it continued? You see people come to Christ and continue to see growth. And I always go back. I'm just kind of like an a, a old tape recorder. Go back and say, well, you know, I always contributed to the wonderful unity that we've had among our staff through the, the decades and our eldership. We've just seen that over and over again. It's not... And it, I think a lot of people don't understand what unity is. It's not that you always agree on everything. You have the same opinion. Good grief. My wife and I, we just, we don't have the same opinion on things. And uh, you say, well, yeah, when you start your, I should have started the church. It was just her and I. I should have had our first board meeting with just her and I. I could have, I could have just got, got my way on everything. Except I didn't know exactly how she'd vote on some issues. 
No, we've got, and yet, whatever, whatever we don't agree on, I, I know this. Our marriage is what it is today because we have unity. And uh, there's not division in our marriage. And it's not that we agree on everything. There's just this one heart and one spirit and one mind. And in, in the book of Acts, if you ever read the book of Acts, the church, where it got its start, ten times in the first five chapters of Acts, the Bible says the church was unified. Ten times. When you have the unity of Acts, you will have the power of Acts. And when you have the power of Acts, that is where the presence of God is so sweet in a congregation like it is right here. And we see people, um, as we light the candle each week, and say, they just gave their life to Christ. And my family member who needs Jesus, just like we're going to see in the baptism here in two weeks outside, we're going to do a service outside um, but here's my challenge for unity. You and I, again, we'd have to have our head in the sand to not notice how people are becoming more and more godless. Have you noticed that in our culture? Our country is so divided. Uh, we have an upcoming election. And all of these things that we just talked about will determine the future of our nation, the future of our children, and the future of our children's children. And if ever we needed God to guide us and to speak through us and to anoint us and use us and to save us from really awful and uncertain things that are going to happen, I believe in the near future of this country, if things do not turn around, if God's people do not pray, it's now. And that's why I believe God is calling our church family to begin September. That's Tuesday, right? September 1st. God is calling our church family to 21 days of prayer. And I'm going to invite you to join me in believing God from September uh, the 1st through September the 21st. Uh, times like these folks, are always, they always require action uh, from the body of Christ, from God's people. You cannot, we cannot sit back and just hope things are going to get better. Uh, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but it sure looks like we're living in last days. How about you? And I believe God is calling our church to unite together for the next 21 days. And the Bible says, God says, if my people will humble themselves, that's a call for God's people to unite, isn't it? To unite in prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then he says, God says, I'll heal their land. Folks, our, our, our nation needs healing. And during 21 days of prayer, we want to believe God for our families. We want to believe God for our businesses. Some of you have grandchildren and children who are not walking with the Lord or just really confused or whatever. Uh, we want to believe God for our businesses. We want to believe God for our church. And we want to believe God for our nation. Amen? And so together, uh, if we will join together, unite together, and pray, we're going, well, I just really believe we're going to break the power of the enemy through turning to God in 21 days of prayer. So I just want to invite you to come join me uh, on your phone, uh, Brandywine app today. 
uh, up in the upper right-hand corner, I believe, there's a way for you to sign up for 21 days of prayer. And if you will just give me your uh, email address, because we don't want to send you stuff you don't want. Some people hit, don't want, don't want that, and we'll never even send you anything again because it's blocked. So we want you to respond. And if you'll just give us your email, I will send you a uh, 21-day prayer guide starting September 1st, Tuesday. And, and we'll, we'll go through the next 21 days together. So sign up there on your church uh, Brandywine app. And then later on today, if you don't have an app like that, you can just go to our website and it'll be there as well. Um, our upcoming Baptism Friend Day here two weeks from the, today. Those of you who really believe in the power of prayer, it's, the, it's, a, it's prayer is the engine that drives the church. That's what we've always said, right? Because we believe it. We pray first and then act. And so we want to agree together and pray that God will do a great work in that one service outside. We're going to do the preaching, the teaching, the uh, worship all outside around the pond. And so let's believe that God is stirring hearts. Let's believe that as we hand out these invite cards, I hope you get one on your way out. This could change somebody's life, their destiny forever. If the Spirit of God comes as we pray and they hear the gospel message two weeks from a day outside because they came with you on that friend day, and they, may, they might just spontaneously respond to my altar call and just go get baptized. We see it every year. And so I'm praying with you as you hand these out, and God will do a great work. If if uh, we've got like 30 people already signed up uh, during this COVID season, I didn't know what to expect, uh, but we're expecting that to double and more. And so let's believe God for that. And if, if the Holy Spirit has spoke to you and you have never been baptized, or maybe you, you were baptized as a child and it wasn't your idea, it wasn't your commitment, it was your parents, then I encourage you to stay after this service for 10 minutes with Pastor Matt or, or Jimmy or somebody who's going to be here in the front. And um, I never know what's going on here. <laughs> somebody will meet you here. I just know that. Um, but in the first three rows, and it'll take about 10 minutes to do an orientation class. And uh, we'll get you signed up to be baptized. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for even making prayer possible with you. My goodness. What a privilege we have to pray with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords every day. To think that you, the God of the universe, would want to fellowship with me on a daily basis. Man, that just blows my mind. So God, help me to make this daily fellowship with you the most important thing in my life. And the joy of it, I know that 21 days of prayer, that's, that's how this will get all kick-started. I want to commit for the next 21 days, starting Tuesday, 21 days of prayer with my church family. I want to commit to spending at least a few moments, a few minutes a day, every day, in a quiet time with you. And going through my prayer guide and just, I want to get to know you more, God. I want to become more like you. 
want to become more Christ-like. I want to intercede for the future of our nation, my church. I want to intercede for my family, my children, my children's children. So take these 21 days starting here in September in our church family and do a great work and just say, God, do a work in my life. Do a work in my church that I love. Do a, do a work in my business or my nation, the nation that we live in. The church family, we commit our future days to you. And God, I want to make an effort Thank you, God, that I get to join and partner with you to grow. Only you can produce the fruit of the Spirit in me. I can't do that, but I can position myself to grow. So I want to make every effort to do that. And I want to make every effort to maintain integrity in my life, to maintain integrity through speech, how I talk to others, through conduct, how I live my life, through love, how I show love to others, to faith, how I trust, I put my trust in you, and through purity, how I live a life of integrity. God, I want to make every effort to not let bitterness grow up in my heart. I don't want to make an effort to not live with hurt, but to let it go. I want to make an effort to be an encourager to others. And most of all, God, to be a peacemaker in the midst of of a culture that is just full of division and rage. Help us to be peacemakers. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I just invite you to do that right now. Just just pray this simple prayer. Say, God, I open my heart to you. I humble myself before you. God, I believe who you say you are, that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You came to die for my sins. And I, I can't do this on my own. The only way to heaven is through you. I believe that. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I invite that same resurrection power to come into my life today. I receive you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we celebrate what God's doing in our lives?